to be here. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, the Sunken Treasures podcast. Uh, this week's treasure, we are reviewing Aldous Huxley's Brave New World from 1931. This was suggested by our very own Daniel Knickerbocker. So, Danielle, tell us why. What's going on and how are you doing? Yeah, I'm so good. And I was so excited to reread this book. And also, I'm really looking forward to the conversation because it's so incredibly controversial and so old. Um, I read this book in high school. And even then, I remember thinking how prophetic it was in so many ways from the technology piece to the sort of desiring pleasure over you know, emotional variability. And so I think it's it's really actually quite timely, even though it's almost 100 years. I mean, it's like, what, 80 something years old. It's incredible. So yeah, that was my reasoning. Let's let's pull it up and dig into it. So um, I was thinking that we should spend maybe a five minutes or so describing the story itself. What do you think? Yes. So essentially, like, I'm going to give a pretty brief synopsis, but essentially this is a sort of post-apocalyptic vision that was heavily influenced by Henry Ford. And throughout the book, you see that Ford actually takes the place of God with everything from, like, a source of truth to, like, how they swear. Um, and, you know, Fordliness, cleanliness is next to Fordliness. And <laughs> um, these really great sort of slogans, yeah. but and they made they made the symbol of the T, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so they are now creating humans on an assembly line in which they are very intentionally um, created into casts that are useful at different levels, and the ones that do the de- deltas and epsilons that do the brunt of the work are actually like large series of identical twins. So, you know, something like 96 embryos coming from a single egg because of the way that they can strategically um, like trigger the mitoses at particular phases. So, so now you have these armies of people that are identical. Then once they're born, well, they're not born. Once they're, I don't know what the word they use is. Um, what the, once they are mature. Out of their surrogate, they go into these nurseries where they are played these very specific chants while they sleep. I forgot what the name of it is. It's got a really lovely name of like um, how you condition while they're sleeping. Um, but they, ch- they chant like what their class is. I'm a delta. I'm so glad I don't work as hard as the eps- or, you know, as hard as the betas and the alphas. They work so hard. I don't want that job. I'm so glad I'm not an epsilon. They're gross and dirty. And so you get this like identity in which there is confidence, comfort, and, and really an unwavering sense of self. And that makes them comfortable with their rank in society. Whoever they're, wherever they're assigned, that makes them happy being there. And from their babies, they're given books and roses. Whatever they're supposed to stay away from, they're put on an electrified mat where they're shocked if they touch or partake in the wrong, per se, activities. That's not for their group. And so they shot these kids each time until they learn what oh, they should like yeah, by let's punishing talk about them this a bit. for paying attention to anything. Which, by the way, is called a Skinner box, and that's what we do with rats for psychology experiments. I that yeah, was my first yeah. undergrad <laughs> post in psychology was counting the freeze responses of rats in a Skinner box to establish whether or not we had gotten to a conditioned response. Wow. And also next, there was a garden where all the kids were allowed to do erotic play. Yeah. And to explore their sexuality. And they laughed at the, the thought that... Let's come back to that. I want to just do the overview, but okay, yes. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. So, so there's no... It's polyg- like polygamy, orgies, like everyone belongs to everyone. And so they have destigmatized sexual anything. Um, they have these... The movies are called The Feelies, and they have where you can like smell and feel people kissing and... Um, there's a drug called Soma that is provided at, you know, infinitum to the people. And, and anytime you feel the smallest sense of discomfort, you take a Soma. Or if something's really upsetting, you take six and sleep for 18 hours. 
Um, and they play, you know, this particular magnetic golf, and then everything is particularly structured, and nobody upsets the cart. And if you do, you're conditioned to encourage people to take more drugs. Um, and so, but then there are two characters, Bernard and, oh, what's the, the guy who makes the movies? I forgot his name. Um, at Harmhold? Yes, Hemold, yeah, that is like um, starting to feel a sense of unrest with the sort, like the, the glazed over effect of life and they, this like gnawing desire to feel something authentic. So Bernard stops taking the drugs and everybody sort of thinks he's coming off unglued and they're going to ship him to Iceland and he wants to, and then there's this woman, Lenina, that he's sort of courting but nobody ever wants to stay together for too long. You're, you know, sort of vilified if you're with the same partner for longer than is comfortable uh, yeah. for society. And so they go to this reservation as sort of like a vacation um, in New Mexico to see the savages. And I guess it would be nice if you describe what a savage is. Wait, yeah, so weren't, weren't, weren't they sent there by force or did they? No, they went there for a vacation. Mm. Um, he wanted to see it, and she thought it was like delightfully, like fascinating. Bernard was of that class. He got the permit, and that's where he hears the story from other John. And he yeah. wants to go because it's like, uh, like raw and not what not civilized. So savages are essentially people who have not been they they've been born. They still have parents and families, which is like disgusting and nobody talks about it. Viviferous lifestyle is how they refer to it, which I think is really funny. And so it's a combination of ancient religion and God, which God has been, you know, run out. So they go there as, as a, for different reasons, but they go there as a couple together. And previously Bernard has been told this story by one of somebody in a higher rank that he once went there and by his boss, by his boss. And, and he went there with his girlfriend, but the girlfriend, they got separated and he just, left her there. They couldn't find her. So they left her there. And this is, and then he gets a little upset and, and then he feels embarrassed that he's showing that he actually had feelings for this woman and gets angry. And so, but Bernard knows about this story that there's a, there's a woman that was abandoned at the reservation essentially. So they go and Lenina is horrified and like popping Soma like crazy until she can't get it anymore and left it somewhere um, that it's dirty and people are actually married and they're yeah. like animals and raw food and the whole thing is not sterilized and you know then they meet the woman they meet the the child the the woman had a child after she was there turns out the child belongs to the controller um despite her like use of contraception and so they meet him the child and the woman they take them back they invite them back to society she ends up dying. He ends up sort of John, the child, like trying to lead a revolution, <laughs> which doesn't go so well. Um, catches so there's like the revolution, and they're going to send them to different islands. Everybody who was a part of it. So Bernard, John, um, the guy that I still can't remember his name. Yeah, three of them. Yeah, and. And he seems okay. The the um, what's his name, Alejandro, the guy that uh, makes the movies, Hubble, something like that. Fuck, I, I Hemholt. Yeah, he's like okay. Uh, that's fine. I'd like this kind of island. Like he seems like resigned to his fate. Um, and Bernard is like groveling and kicking and screaming and doesn't want to go. Um, well, yeah. The last the last chapter is that our friend John the Savage gets harassed all the time because he's still exotic, right? Like everybody's like, oh, can you do your savage thing and blah, blah, blah. And to the point that he hangs himself and that's the end of the book. Um, he does what? He hangs, he hangs, hangs. Okay, I thought we need, like, uh, we need to repeat that part so everyone hears. The yeah, guy like, kills like to, for you, the uh, listeners, not, I'm going to repeat it. Like the guy hung himself because he got harassed. Yeah, it's not a happy ending. Yeah. Anyways, that's your summary. Um, Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel, I have a question. Uh, I mean, I, I read this once and I'm already distraught. I mean, <laughs> and you, I mean, you like read it again and, you know, you suggested this. And so I know you read it in high school and all. So, so what made you mm -hmm. suggest it and like, 
Yeah. Well, I loved, I loved the like pulling of Shakespeare, right? This idea of like the brave new world. Like, what does it look like to have a totally different societal structure? Um, and then, of course, I have a child, and so I also often look at things with sort of a panic-stricken lens. Um, but this idea of sort of dopamine, soma, you know, being paramount. What I like about the book is that it just unabashedly goes into like worst, worst, not worst case scenario, but a very dramatic future-esque vision. But with such detail, you, you actually like feel the plausibility and you feel sort of the, the intention behind why this would be created on the feet of war why this, like, you almost buy into it as being, and, and the characters do too, you know, in some levels. And then, then they come back to, no, I want to be real. I want to, like, feel the hairs on my arms stand up in the forest and, you know, these other things. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that I like it from, like, a standpoint of, like, oh, this is my favorite book. But it's a book that, like, shakes you, like, grabs you and makes you look at what's happening and not necessarily with any like real good action steps as to how to intervene, but more sort of just looking at how do I orchestrate myself in the middle of some of these things that I feel creeping into our existence. What do you mean by it happened, it took place on the foot of war? I'm not, I'm not, I am bad at history. I'll just like flat out say that. Um, so I imagine though it was like right after World War II. Isn't that sort of where the timing falls? It's uh, it's after like the 30s? World War One. It's between the two wars, 1931. Okay. So, yes. And I think there was lots of tension and sort of, yeah, just like wondering how things could be better. And is that actually desirable? Like, do we want things to be good all the time? Um, and so in the book, there is this like war with anthrax bombs and, you know, complete obliteration of people. And then how can we use science to intentionally build a society in which people aren't anxious and wanting to create tumultuous change? Oh, man, that and, just and made me. Oh, sorry. I, I'm just recalling a quote from the book that really stood out to me in like an eerie way. But you're you beg the question kind of rhetorically, like, do we want to be happy all the time? And I think it was at the dinner party when everyone gathered to meet the savage, maybe it was the director, but, oh, like, he's just kind of re reflecting on, like, oh, how fun it would be to not have to think about happiness, as if having to think about happiness is his biggest burden, like, just having to be happy all the time, like, oh, it's... You know, just, I'm just, I have all my things lined up to do. I'm so bothered, like, how how to be happy. Like, this is, like, such a bizarre thought for us today as we're, like, navigating, you know, ongoing wars, of course, as well as just, like, macro things, global warming to micro things. Like, how am I, what am I going to eat today? Like, I guess in a bigger way, how does this book address happiness? What's its relationship to happiness? I think, I think the difference is that, in this book, happiness is mandated. I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to be happy. And if you're not happy, you're disturbing the social fabric of society, kind of. Happiness in here, it's a tool of control, right? It is, I mean, it's also a drug, right? Soma is that, happiness. And, and I guess compared to last time, and this is maybe also a question we dealt with the last time we spoke, like, can we fabricate happiness? Right. In this case, I think it is, and some, some of the parts I was reading uh, about the book is that at the time, and it, this was something that uh, the author was also interested in, it was the research on behavioral psychology, right? And all the research that was being found on how do we condition behavior and how do we influence behavior, like the whole Pavlovian conditioning in the book about the kids, you know, being electrified to get conditioned. Like back in the day, it was the discovery of how desire works and how can we influence desire. 
like you don't eradicate desire, but they under they start to understand that. And a lot of what I don't quite remember the name of the psychologist who is famous for this, like the famous behavioral psychologist uh, that his research was being done and discovered in the time that uh, the author was writing the book. But yeah, like a lot of what he said is like we can use this knowledge to create a type of society and to fix a, a specific aspects of society. I don't quite recall the whole quote. But yeah, I guess that's a, it's an interesting thing that in here we're talking about happiness as a tool and as a control tool, right? Like to keep people do docile and disciplined in certain well, ways. You know, that scene that you're talking about with like the books and the roses and, you know, mm. they electrify. There's a very famous, you know, back in, in early behavioral psychology, you could sign your child up for experiments and they would give you money. You know, here's $20 if you volunteer your child. And it wasn't like you just sign a paper and we promise we won't hurt, hurt them. And, and they'll participate in this experiment. And there was a very famous experiment called the Little Albert experiment in which they put a child in a white room with like, like just like a, a sterile room where they had a double-sided mirror and, they, and there was a rabbit, a white rabbit. And every time he would go near the rabbit, they would like put this like really, it wasn't electrified, but it was like a, like a symbol or like something that was like so jarring and he would cry and they did this over and over again. It was an experiment that eventually ended up showing what generalized fear ends up looking like because later on he, he was like averse to whipped cream, cotton balls, anything that vaguely resembled the white rabbit. He had like anxiety-based fear of. And so it showed this really terrifying way that like things actually it's not specific to the stimuli when it's that violent it actually like branches out into other things that are that are vaguely um and i thought of that experiment while i was reading that and how powerful it is to condition and you see this with parents right like don't climb that it's dangerous you're, you're gonna fall and kill yourself and you end up with like an adult that feels scared to like leave their house without all the things <laughs> that's definitely one i relate to <laughs> <laughs> Except for my mom never corrected me. <laughs> it was just like, okay, let's see what happens. And like, is this why who I am today? <laughs> Taking risks. But anyway, sorry. Big I job. think what I like in this book about the paradox of happiness is that in this in this book, like the it's it's not that the quest for happiness in itself is bad. It is just that there is a manufactured reality that is being forced onto your actual reality. Like you are not actually happy in your reality through whatever is happening to you, but they're inducing this and they're forcing this onto you, whether it is through Soma and, you know, all of this uh, external stimuli. So like this is, it's, it's so, it's so weird because you're like, I will, I, I don't have this happiness in my life, but I will get it somehow. I will take a shot of this. I will take Soma and, you know, it's so like it's also eerily reminiscent. Like someone else was mentioning the social media thing. Like, like today we live in a in a day and age when even when we go for a run, we we need like a podcast. I mean, I mean, I know it's <laughs> I know it's ironic saying this sort of podcast, but like we can't even go on a run without a podcast bullshitting in our ear. And like like at least previously we used to watch like a movie or something like that but now it's it's a youtube video and not even that now it's like a 15 second reel and like it's a whole act in 15 seconds it's like one shot and then you want another one and then like it's this ever smaller bits and hits that we give ourselves and like it becomes a need that you know this manufactured reality that i want and what is the shortest and easiest and quickest way that I can get to that and them weaponizing that in the book is, is something I well, found very and interesting. And I remember seeing, I don't know, I didn't look at what you posted Alejandro, um, but I had watched a video of somebody like contemplating the like current application of the book and why it's quite relevant, talking about, you know, this idea that I don't think the government would even have to like condition you to take so I think right now if people were like, here's this drug, you'll feel great all the time. People would be lining up out the 
Absolutely. Because we, we've already sort of created this stew of, sh- of wanting dopamine, this sort of, like, much to your saying, Vic, yeah. We do that for our phones. Oh, yeah. We do like, it for video games. We do it for all sorts of different stimuli, people waiting, camping. Just the, like, scrolling. Like, I will stop Monty when he's like, can I watch a video? And then I was like, yes, which one do you want to watch? So we'll choose that. But then I'll find him, like, I was like, no, like, this is actually the thing. This desire to, like, have it hit you really quickly is... So I think it's also quite frightening to think if the right person utilized this current thing. Like you could, I don't know. I hate to be the pessimist, but who's to say that, you know, that right person isn't already acting at large. I mean, I think we already are are there, right? Like it's been used. I mean, TikTok is Soma, the version of Soma. (laughs) The current one, like I'm not kidding. Like Uh it is a drug. Yeah. It is a drug. Like, Question. Sure. Yeah. Everyone here, if you had a chance to try like the Honest to God Soma from Brave New World, would you try it? Oh, yeah. No, of course not. I don't want to ruin my life. I'd ha- I think I'd have to try it. How could it ruin your life when it's designed to have no side effects? I mean, this is what raves were, right? Like the feelies, like you guys aren't old enough to like in the oh, yeah, I am. Like early, early 2000s. 90s. Okay. Like late 90s, early 2000s, like raves were like this thing where you went, you took like ecstasy or, you know, some other big party drugs. And like, yeah, you're like there, everybody loves you. The music is like my brother, who is always cold sober, he is like, doesn't mess around with that but he would dj and he would love to like pick the track and you could like watch the wave of like bodies like undulate as this like single thing of people whose brains were primed to like feel it that's amazing how you like open that up like very sober (laughs) djs are we we thinking of soma like ecstasies type of thing or like yes right like like, uh, i think so i mean i mean I'm assuming Except they go to sleep. Us. They're vacations. I mean, if you take enough ecstasy, I feel like you probably get knocked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but also I have not that experience. About, like, <laughs> like the summer I haven't one. Either. But yeah, you know, to your question, like if we assume that it it is like ecstasy, like sure. I think the danger of soma is that it was, obli- like people was obligated, right, or were conditioned to take it. Like this is just something we do. I mean, in the book, we see it, right? Like, people cannot believe any other type of reality without Soma. It's like, what? You're not taking Soma? Like, what the fuck? It's like, don't feel sad. Yeah, it's like, why are you sad? Like, we have Soma. And, I mean, in uh, there's this this Indian TV series called Sacred Games. In that, they 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 have this cult. And even in that, it's like this very extremist cult. And... Even in that cult, the thing that binds them all together is this drink. And there's this one scene where there's like a new member who's going to take it for the first time. And then someone, he has like this vision of someone saying, hey, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't take it because he had been victim to that. Don't, don't do it because once you take it, there's no going back. There's no going back because it like completely distorts your understanding of the world. And like it, it's like, and there is, you can't, you're not thinking straight anymore. Like your world completely changes once you, once you take that. So for me, Soma, I assume is like this, like this paradigm bending sort of uh, uh, thing. It's, it's not something that you, you know, pop at a rave and then you can go back to your normal life. It's, I don't think it's, it's, it's quite that simple. I mean, it's fictional, but like. I think it's that kind of, uh, you know, very potent. It reminds me of ecstasy because it seems to create like this, like desire to be close to people. Um, and to, and, and, you know, yeah, like, yeah, and to and touch like them. physically mm-hmm. intimate and like that there is this very like extrasensorial piece. Um, so right. let's go. I think we want to go back to the erotic play, which I do think is right. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Like, would we, would we like that type of society like what, what's the name that they put like orgy porgy that's what they were saying, like, orgy porgy right like, yes that's what the adults sang the kids, well, yeah, the kids i don't think the kids sang that just encouraged to like harass each other and like fondle each other to and, danielle's uh, right, description right. earlier to like 
90s, 2000s raves were basically <laughs> just like massive like drug-induced orgies, but also for like Aldous at this time, like, so he's probably working on this book, I don't know, like, let's say two years, a year, but like 1930s, how much of an outlier is he to be thinking about a bunch of little kids having sex on a playground? <laughs> like. Even talk about like a you know little boy and girl like giggling in the bushes like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> oh my god! Yes. But it was permitted because um, it fit into the narrative of destroying the family and sexualizing everything, yeah. basing society around cheap pleasure. pleasure. I right, think I so. think like what what what's so what's so odd about all this is that like. They're not, you're not allowed to be together with anyone for long because if you were together with anyone for long, it would create a commitment and it would, it would create a family. It would create the fundamental unit. And, and which is why, which is why the, the word identity being part of that motto is, is, is such a bloody joke because, because, because you get a huge part of your, you get your last name from your family. So they are denying people that and then saying, and then assigning them to a specific thing. Oh, you came out of this embryo. This is like a crown embryo. So you're like Lillian crown or whatever, however the naming scheme goes. So like, so because, because everyone belongs to everyone is basically them saying no one belongs to anyone. So it's this way of breaking things up and breaking them away from their identity so that they can assign it. So it's just, it's, it's super ironic. I think, in, in, you know, go ahead, Alejandro. I was just going to say like the whole point is like, uh, I mean, the, we, we find this out like towards the end of the book when uh, John and Bernard are talking to the creator, right? Like the guy who made this yeah, whole happen. And the controller. So the, the main thing for him when he was telling like why things work this way is like they were looking for social stability. And in the book, that's what that meant, right? Like it meant homogeneousness, I guess that's a word. Um yeah, like to become homogeneous. So right now, so there's no, like the matrix, right? Like there's no more people being born. There's people being grown, right? Like harvest, like cultivated. Uh, and they just assign you your, depending on the genes you have, you get assigned your identity, Bro. which was like the alpha, the mega, beta, whatever. Um, and you have different roles and you have different limitations to what you could do for who you are. Or who, for and who I, you were created for, yeah. You know, and when they are talking about towards the end about Shakespeare and like and why you know he's like you should make Othello as a movie. He's like nobody would get it, and that you know no single person is that important, and that you should never like you would never get in an argument defending someone. Like, no, like everybody belongs to everybody else. And so by sort of destroying this connection, like a deep connection and replacing it with this sort of superficial, it's, oh my God, it's so what social media is, you know, there's like this idea of like, how many friends do I have versus how many people can I call when I'm in trouble um, is a particularly poignant thing. Um, and <laughs> I hadn't thought about that till this very moment. It's very frightening. Um, yeah, so that you, and then you don't cry when, you know, I especially love the death conditioning and having children walk through and see people dying so that they are not afraid of death and that they don't mourn because no single person is that important. But also, death is sudden. I hear they live for 65 years and then they just die, but they're kept young all throughout their lives where they're given some kind of metabolism kind of thing or some medication to keep blood them. like young blood transfusions and right yeah to keep them young and so they live their entire lives young even 60 year old men are still having orgies and doing everything and so that's what the entire society celebrates and is based around and that's how they keep the people essentially docile by giving them the cheap pleasures the drugs and by destroying the family, when you destroy the family, you basically destroy anything that someone would fight for then. Like, what would you fight for if there's nothing to fight for? If you don't have any close connections with anyone, like no deep friendships or no family, right. essentially, then there's really nothing to, 
to go to war over because you're not you're not trying to better the future of anyone who comes after you and so if you're not fighting right. for a different future then you know there's no reason to then fight you're not fighting yeah the state and, and here's yeah. an interesting thing like if we think about social stability in our reality right like assuming brave new world could be part of the multiverse <laughs> now that it's popular <laughs> in 2023 we are all about the multiverse and shit um Like, if we think of that reality... It's like reality, the feelies. Right, like... But it's an interesting paradox, right? Like, today, in our society, we do talk about family as a stability. Like, we still... Like, it's 2023. I don't know who's listening in another time period. But back in the, now, 2023... Uh, we're still having debates, you know, because now we have new generations coming and being like, I don't want to, I don't want kids or whatever, right? Like the new, you know, like Gen Z's are like, I don't want kids, I will have a dog and stuff like that. And and, 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 for, and, and for those who don't know, Alejandro is in his 20s. I mean, he sounds like oh, yeah. he's in his 50s, but yeah. Yeah, I am, I am in my 20s. I, I am one of them, but not quite. Um, yeah, but, but can you blame them if society is promoting and idolizing that type of like, behavior? Just to finish, it was like, It is interesting that even today, and even back in the day when the book was written, like, family was still that social stability, right? Like, if you didn't have a family, it's like, what's the purpose, right? Like, you need to have a family, you need to get married, you need to have a house, you need to buy a car, you need to have kids, and, you know, go on. Well, um, it went like, right, family, neighborhood, nation, world. And, like, right. you fought sort of in that order. And in this reality of the book, social stability meant the whole opposite, right? Like, like they were trying to engineer social stability using very different principles, like no family, you're an individual, no identity, right? Like, or your identity is assigned, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah, there's no God. Our God is called Ford, and he's, you know, <laughs> the father of efficiency, assembly yeah. lines, you know. Especially when you, when, when things happen and when, you know, the choices are made, like, where, like, choices like, you know, no kid, I'll just, you know, I'll just have a family that does not, you know, have kids or like, or like, no marriage and uh, we'll just, no we'll God, just like live in few and fewer. And, and again, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not making a, I'm not making a judgment call about it. It's just, it's just that the, when we make these choices, when we make these multiple choices, the, we, move farther and farther away from whatever we think is like the baseline that we fall back to. And the farther we move from what we understand and what we've been acquainted for, acquainted with for generations, it becomes this sort of thing. It becomes from the perspective of like the book and the discussion we're having, it becomes far more easier for organizations uh, to manipulate us and for groups to manipulate us because you will have to gravitate towards something. At least there was going to be some part of your life that you're going to put on autopilot. And when you put things on autopilot in a place that you don't understand it, you know, can create all sorts of, like like we, if we move as, as one does, you know, you move to a city that's not yours, you move to a place that does not speak your language. And like, like whenever we talk about, we talk about, okay, let's get back to base and pick our fight back up. Like what the fuck is base? Like, so, So the more elements we remove farther away from what we think is identity, the more things we have to, we have to battle with, the, the more things we have to worry about. And so like, again, again, like, again, please, like, I'm not, I'm not making a value judgment on in this particular aspect, this is right and this is wrong. It's just that for the number of factors, we make those choices, it becomes harder for us. And so, Vikyat, so I think uh, this is a really interesting topic, especially, you know, just you coming with your background, obviously being Indian and being located in Indian and, you know, kind of the individualistic versus like collectivism in terms of like societal, societal structures. I would argue that this brave new world mimics more collectivism, right? It's all about everyone belongs to everyone. <laughs> and in terms of like a family structure, like I think it, it almost, ironically reverts back to kind of like a tribal family structure, how there really wasn't this possession of 
people, you know, that's my person. Like it, it was very much like, like the old phrase, like it takes a child or it takes a village to raise a child. Like there's, there is truth to that, I think. But at the same time, these people are being deceived and thinking that they do live with individualistic, you know, thoughts and motives because of what they are able to do, the entertainment, the choices. So they still have like a bit to identify with. But I think the point you're making is that they really don't have that grounding sense of be it family or identity culture, right? It's just so removed, you know, that you're just another cog in the machine. So it becomes, it becomes harder for us. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just this, it's just this hyper individualistic approach, right? Like, of course, th- there is a lot of benefit to it. It gives you the freedom to do exactly what you want, but then it moves you farther away from things you understand. And there are only so many things in which we can create our own path. And the the farther we move away and when these factors become too many factors and we are not we are not rooted then it become we become more susceptible to organizations assigning us into groups based on whatever your consumerist pattern is or, or something else rather than the normal rooted autopilot mode you would be going in otherwise so it's this hyper individualistic cost benefit sort of uh, situation there in the book they try to they talked about the home yeah. A small place where people lived and bacteria spread around and, you know, mothers lived with their children and the noisy environment. And like they were yeah. kind of trivializing or demonizing what it was to have a yeah. home. And it seems to me that everything that you could own, ownership itself, they try to destroy that. You know, that 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 you can you have an ownership over anything, whether it's a partner, a mate, a house, a car, anything that. It belongs to you. Nothing belongs to you. Everything is for everyone. And everyone is for everyone. And so the the the, the dynamic that Daniel described, where she said, it starts with family, then community, then nation, then the world. I think the most important, a, a part, where, where I consider the most important part of that whole range is the individual. Because the family is built on individuals. And so you have to first build yourself before you can form a family and your families build communities but I strong communities this. build countries and it continues like that but but so and my my experience of this has also also comes from the fact that i left india when i was 18 and and i went to i went to singapore which is a, you know a whole different country a very different experience and i tend to have used to tend to have this crisis of identity sometimes because I lived there during a very important uh, time in my life and many of us who lived there you know felt a part of part of Singapore you know we we, uh, we spent our college there we are very connected to it but then but then there is this very small window in which you can you can access that because you have to have a certain kind of job you have to have a certain level of income and all of that to be part of that, to be, to not have the actual passport and to, you know, just access that part of identity and to be connected to it. There is so much of a fight because, because this whole talk of this is a global, it's a very globalized world. It's like, it's not that rooted, like, because there is a lot more, there are a lot more constraints than we are led to, we are led to believe, right? Like it has to be like, I have to, I have to have a job and I have to, that job has to make this much. And then that particular job has to be in a particular industry so that the manpower department of uh, ministry of manpower of singapore deems me worthy to stay i mean of course it's their country right so there are there are all these factors that come into play but for my for my place in india i don't have to fight it's mine it's there are a lot of other factors that make it that make that that make it a very yeah, I, I had the same of, uh, i had the same experience uh, a, a, Good. a different sort of connect yeah, but so I lived in Japan for a while too. And while being there, I would think like like in Jamaica, if I had a like yeah. if I was in a fight or something and I made a mistake or I overreacted and like punched someone, I'd get in trouble in Jamaica. I'd go to the cops and I'd we'd figure it out and I'd go yeah. back home or whatever it is. I'd pay the price and whatever it is. Yep. If I did that while I'm in Japan, you get deported. Like 
everything that you're doing, your job is over. Your everything that you're doing, the life you've developed, everything is over. Yeah. You you go home, and so the price. You don't feel that sense of stability because you're not home per se. You don't have the same level of rights yeah. and stuff that you have while being home. So I understand the instability that you're referring to by being in a foreign country. Let, let, let yeah. me just clarify so that uh, you know what I said is not misconstrued. Like, like I still would, I still would work and do what it takes to like, like if I wanted to be in a better place, go back to Singapore or you know some other place. I would still do it. It's, it's not that. It's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that there is a prize to it. Like, it's it's just this thing, like this whole thing of like you know the world is very global and like this whole thing of like hey the world is flat and all of that. It just comes across like horseshit once you start, once you start looking at it and then realize wait the color of your passport starts playing a role and all of that. I mean it's not that you still wouldn't do it. You would do it. It's just important to realize that there is a prize to it so so basically my point being that whenever someone says hey we are all part of like this big hole be scared like that's my whole yeah that's my whole well thing. we'll put it this way vikat in in the book let's say that all governments across the world agreed that everyone belongs everywhere and there are really no national borders that level of insecurity goes away that insecurity that we have that we don't belong would go away because there would only be one government, essentially, one world government. And then we would belong everywhere. So you'd feel just as comfortable in your home or wherever you were born. You you have no home as you would anywhere else. So I think that in the but, book, it, it works. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like basically this whole. Yeah, I do. Friedman, yeah. The world is flat. This whole this whole stuff is this whole stuff is nonsense because. You belong everywhere. Just, just, just means you you belong nowhere. It's, it's, and, and it's just that. Now, that's I, I love this discussion. Like just to further the thought. Like, um, my my instinct says that I don't think that would work, right? Like I do, I do see the point. But I also think, in the book, there's something very interesting, which is eradicate thought. There's a reason why books are prohibited, and from the inception of the humans books and beauty is not allowed and you are conditioned to not approach it and the reason is because of the singularity of thought right like when you start thinking is when you start becoming an individual right hopefully you become an individual because you start thinking and the creation of unique thoughts is what brings uniqueness into each individual and <laughs> which, go, which go against their version of social stability right like because for their God, which is Ford, any assembly, not assembly, any, the concept of efficiency requires a certain amount of standardization, meaning you need to get homogeneous in at some point, right? Like you need sameness. And I guess that society, the guy who constructed the whole new world in the book was like, he was, he was on point. He knew that by eradicating thought, they were going to eradicate the differences in people because the only reason why we think of ourselves as different from the other person is because we can think of ourselves as different because there's a unique world here and that always exists right like i mean the main characters that we that we encounter like they are they represent that right like they represent those outliers in that world that were individuals who thought or had more like authentic thoughts and it seems that any human being had had still that, but the only reason why they were not accessing it, it was because of Soma, right? Like, like the person who created, like the creator of the, what's the name? The controller. The controller knew that this was not something you were going to eradicate. Like by prohibiting books and beauty, right. like he knew that was not going to really make the job done. That's why they fabricated a drug useful enough and potent enough like Soma to keep people distracted and to keep people entertained so doing something else, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree with um, you, Alejandro, about the thinking makes us individual. Now, I have friends who are hardened communists, right? And of course, even in the book, in case you guys didn't recognize, the two main characters are who? Marx and Lenin. Very good. Marx and, Marx Lenin, and Lenin, yeah. And so um, being able to think individually in their world, they say that everyone's thoughts 
if you think of a new cell smartphone, for example, your idea of a smartphone was built on the fact that you've seen other versions of smartphones. And so because your idea is based on something else that was built by someone else, then your idea kind of belongs to everyone else. And there are no unique ideas because all ideas are based on present technology that exists or something that you saw in your environment that you, you know? And so they try to disassociate our ownership over our thoughts. And of course, that for me, the argument doesn't hold any water because yeah. that's like saying um, you can take two minerals and make cement to build a house. But if no one else thought of putting these two minerals together, houses would never have been built. And so to say that you give me no credit for having figured out that these two chemicals put together leads to the formation of cement to build houses, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, it just doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't work. So that's where, that's where all personal property comes from in terms of intellectual property. It comes from giving people right over the things that they developed in their minds. And if you, if you, if you, if you tear that down, that's, that's the beginning of the end for property rights, essentially. Well, and I think also, like, let's look at the, the child-rearing process, right, in this, that, and, like, juxtapose it with, like, American schools, right, where, like, you're, it's, it's not dissimilar from the standpoint that you're, like, barking the same, you know, crap at people, and you're, like, giving them plentiful rewards so that they jump when it's time to jump, and, um, like all of these things. And then you do end up with sort of adolescents and young adults who don't know where to go for the reward and, you know, feel somewhat disenfranchised. And, well, I, somebody should appreciate me. Like, I need a hug. And oh, they're, yeah. You know, and they're like, no, like, go back to work. Like, nobody's going to hug you right now. Like, the FFPS, like, soccer, where there's no score and everyone wins. Like, you're learning a lot about me today, but my mom was not on board with this. She was like, you will lose and you will be uncomfortable and you will figure it out. Like, and that's, that's okay. Right. (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. I mean, and so like in the book, right. They don't speak at all of, of formal schooling. I don't know what it looked like for the alphas to, you know, I'm sure they learned all of the Ford um, manuals so that they understood the fact how the society is constructed and they could continue to propagate that construction. And, um, and Linda talks about, you know, she was a beta that she, what she knew was her job, right? How to like what happened to each embryo at each stage. But, you know, past that, it's a lot of like how to be sexual, how to feel really good, and like that death is no big deal, like that there's nothing to be scared from scared of. And like the other thing is having kids like goof around from such an early age, you also remove this idea of jealousy, which I think is historically a thing that causes a lot of friction. And, um, you know, like I wanted that girl, this other guy got that girl. Now I'm going to either like fight him or drive off a cliff in sorrow or, you know, just like write, <laughs> write depressing poetry for the rest of my life. Like pick your like outcome, but sure. you just like say, Hey, can I have her next week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so, okay. So also Alejandro mentioned that point before too, about the fact that these people still had natural human urges of ownership where there was, one girl who was with Henry all the time and she seemed like she had a real connection with Henry. She wanted to probably be monogamous with Henry. Maybe she was, who knows, right? But they still had the urge to be together and not share each other. Of course, the Soma dealt with it and the years of conditioning dealt with it. And I think there was a point where they were talking about the, the brainwashing aspects that they said like, like, like if you repeat something for 4,000 times or something like that leads to a truth. Yeah, it becomes your reality. Right? It's like they're saying, they're saying how many times do you have to repeat something to someone for it to become their truth, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's and where the speakers were true. placed under their pillows. Exactly. And stuff like that. Exactly. And so 
they had to constantly be suppressing these urges because there's no way of eradicating it. That, that, that's right? a good and point so, of, of, like in the in our world, uh, the discoveries that these psychologists that I can still not remember his name, but the behavioral one, that's what he understood mm-hmm. about desire. He's like, there's no way we can eradicate desire, but there is a way we can uh, shift patterns of behavior in certain directions, but it's not going to be exactly the free will of the person, right? Like, it's not going to be really, like, it's not going to be It's, it's never going to be natural. Not, yeah, exactly. It's not, you're not going to manufacture yeah. the desire, but you can control behavior still. Right. Um, right. Yeah, it's... it's and, 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 yeah, to, to control behavior when desire is moving in the opposite direction, I mean, it requires force. And SOMA isn't that much of like beating someone, but it is using force in a chemical way. Yeah, subduing. And, and, and that's when the systems of control come, right? Like SOMA plays its role, uh, the identity part plays its role. You know, like each uh, each of the things of the engineering of society in that book played a specific role for, you know, the whole utopia of societal stability. And I guess interesting thing, like, and and yeah. this also ties into like how much they want you to become dependent on the system so that they can control you because like well right. yes. something something so basic as your happiness has to come from them so it's like a yeah. it's like, like a pimp situation it's like a very deep level of dependency. Surely though, you like get your workers hooked on a drug, they'll never leave you, right? Like, but you know. I was wondering that if they said SOMA was supposed to be provided to everyone and the society's comfort is based on SOMA, there was a point where where John saw them handing out SOMA. And it sounded like the guys were, they were like, oh, when he opened the box, they're like, oh, oh, SOMA is coming. There was some, it's it's as if there was some limitations about how SOMA was kind of distributed to some extent, at least, so that there was actually a line and they had to be fighting over it. I would think that if it was that abundant, that they well, wouldn't I, need to be fighting over. Huh? Those were Delta and Epsilon workers um, specifically. And so I think that a little bit of like hint of withdrawal is actually quite compelling to get them. Like, I don't think they would ever leave them to the point where they could actually get angry or upset, but it created, you know, a sense of of reliance i mean i mean one would also assume if if they're if they if they're giving it out so much they would also use it as a means of control right like like maybe certain sections of society like the alphas and something have have access to that in abundance and what is it if you're not if you're not paying for it you're the product i mean that can be applied to business models today right like (laughs) this this is this is basically what uh our lord and savior mark zuckerberg (laughs) said and it's become it's become like a universal truth essentially if you're not paying for it you're the product in in i mean i think like yahoo aim would have been among the first MySpace, i mean not really yeah. first in a big way maybe myspace before that Which one god zynga does anyone remember that was a big deal for us oh zynga the uh-huh. gaming zynga oh yeah i was, I was like zynga. gaming was right cityville and uh, I there was one called high friends or something like that right? That's just where I learned Thank HTML friends. so I could do my backgrounds. Yeah. But even like, so I had this experience yesterday. We were at a friend's house and it's a friend that does a lot more screens. And I was like, it was a snow day. I was like, sure, Monty, like have fun, whatever. But so they watched a movie, which was lovely. And what movie? They watched A Bug's Life, which oh, I, I was fine with. Amazing. Um, <laughs> Like pre-Kevin Spacey cancellation movie. Um, <laughs> he would have made a great in the playground. <laughs> Sorry. Then they were like listening to like, right. He would have been like, they would have been like, yeah, that one needs to go be reconditioned. Um, so, but then they were like doing something else. Then I was like, can you guys do something creative? Like maybe you want to draw. And they were like, yeah, let's watch a drawing video. And it's like, have somebody else tell us what to draw and how to draw it. And like it just this you know 
they, they watch a lot of YouTube videos. And so they also are constantly coming over to our house to do like chants. Like Monty's like, can you turn on the hamburger, cheeseburger, Big Mac Whopper song? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, it's a thing from like TikTok. And it's like literally just this guy like chanting the same thing in a robot voice for like four minutes. And I was like, why? Like, why is this taking up real estate in your brain? Like, it's, you know, shocking. And, but it is. And it's so prolific that, you know, these kids will come over and be like, can we watch funny videos? And I'll be like, what are funny videos? You know, it's like, oh, on YouTube where people do stupid things and like jump off stuff and like do trick shots. And, and that's like actually what kids are spending time like there is no, like we're reading Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> I had this lovely moment. We were at the coffee shop and Monty turned around and looked at me and he said, oh, no. all Mimsy were the bone wraths. And like this idea of like culture is being pulled away for stupid, not stupidity, kind it's of stupidity, but like it's things that make you laugh right now. Yeah, but, but this, is, this is the thing now. And I know this is probably a horrible thing to say. Oh, wow. But Darwin is giving a warning <laughs> and then he's saying, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's gonna be horrible. It's Y'all, gonna be we horrible. are alone. <laughs> so brace, brace yourselves. <laughs> I'm bracing. Reading this, reading this book, and Buckle I haven't up, finished everyone. a book in a long time in my life. And finishing this book reminded me why I hated reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So say more. <laughs> so the thing is that um, I think what I came to the conclusion of is because I was reading the book and in the book, it described, oh, she went to this place and there was this black man that came down the stairs and he had white hair and his hair gleamed up, you know, against the black of his face. And he was this and his body was painted. And, and it's like a whole page describing one goddamn man. And I'm like, could we get back? Please. Could we move on? Like, where, where are we going with the story? Every character has to be described and then it takes time to describe each character, right? And I'm like, if you showed me a photo, I could look at the photo and then I could continue reading. To me, I, I thought to myself that reading books have to be, it may be the second least efficient form of communication next to sign language. Like, oh, I'm gonna fucking blow you up, Donovan. I'm sorry, I dropped an F bomb like there. <laughs> listening, like listening to stuff. I can listen to a podcast and learn things at twice the rate as I can read in a book. But you're I can what? watch a movie. But sign language? Why is sign language gotta be a part of this? This book can be summarized in a two-hour movie, and you could give every detail that you gave in this book just by showing me the characters instead of spending a whole page describing them. It was 1930. It could have been done so much more efficiently. I know, I know. But I'm just saying, I'm not saying that the, the, the author could have done better in his time. I'm just saying it reminded me I just, of why it annoys I just, me so much. But I will to say, read but books. I will say this. I, I will say this. Okay, I just want. Oh I, just, my God. I just want to say this is what happens when a whole generation of kids grows up on TikTok. They're like, "Hey, just show me in a video. Why do I have to read so much?" It's more yeah. efficient. It's more no, efficient. But I agree. No, listen. Why does it have to be about efficiency? L- listen, like. We're obsessed with productivity. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. like why are we? Why do we need to do things so efficiently? Like, and time? also, and also, and also, there's this there's this quote about Peter Jackson saying that someone talking about the Lord of the Rings films and saying before Peter Jackson made Lord of the Rings, there were thousands of versions of Frodo, but then after he made it, there was only one. So there is there's a certain freedom to conjuring these worlds in your mind and like this whole yeah uh, that's that's a whole other conversation but uh, since uh, Alejandro you're the more sensible man so I'll let you uh, <laughs> wait no, I, I do have to bone a pick though because Donovan I will crush you in sign language like sign language is <laughs> such an amazing it, language it is the fastest adapting language it is so personal as regional accents like people so sorely overlook sign language and it's the most efficient way if you want to talk about efficiency like it you throw up a, like efficient. a couple like wait, oh, wait, wait, okay wait, wait. i'm You're sorry saying, i disagree wait, with okay, you but that's okay, okay. <laughs> does sign language does sign language um afford for the level of detail as writing books as the written word so what um do you are you yeah. arguing it hold on i got this one danielle <laughs> yep are you arguing 
For or against books, or for or against efficiency, because you have a problem with books because they take too much time describing tiny details, but you're, the fault that you point out in sign language is for that very same thing that they, I don't even, I can't even say with full certainty, but we assume that sign language lacks in depth and in, in detail communication. What is your issue? I, I can't even <laughs> do sign language, but good. take so my that issue is Good. My issue is, is what I said is that Writing, reading books, seems to be the second least efficient form of communication. And so when you're talking about a form of communication, the level of detail that you're able to transmit matters. Not only the speed at which you do it. So sign language, you may be able to say something really fast but, but, as but compared to writing it. But if you tell me that sign language affords for equal amount of detail as words do, but can be communicated more quickly... I'd probably stop reading and learn but, sign language. No, like, but, but, but here's the listeners, thing. L- listeners, thing. listeners, I know, I know some of your book lovers. No, no, he, this guy's not with us. We no. don't know who he is. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, please, please. I know, and that's why no, I gave a warning. I, I, I appreciate the warning. I was like, listen, where could this go? This is, this is, I, find, I find this fascinating. And I will say this. I think we're talking about two different things. One, yes. addressing efficiency. Second, about communication. I think is. Like there are two topics here that it might be cool if we if we talk about them separately. Delineate. Number one, yeah, I agree with you, Donovan. If what we're looking for is efficiency, yeah, you know, like looking at stuff and watching a video will communicate faster for sure. Like it's more yeah. effi- like and the efficiency is not because it's fast. Like speed is not what makes it efficient. Spe- efficiency is that you can quality matters. But but that's what I'm saying. That's the other part of the conversation. If you're talking about details, it is quite the opposite, in my opinion. Communication, yes. communication really suffers when you're putting stuff into video, when you're putting stuff into a summary. Like, listen to this. Like, you can you can watch the video I sent you guys. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you can you can watch. You can. But and this is this is. But hold on. Like this is an illusion because you can watch the video of the 10 minute summary of Brave New World and the interesting part and I think this is very dangerous is that people start thinking like oh now I know all about it I know all about it right like wow I got it you know like I hacked the system and that's not really like I mean you didn't hack shit right like you only hacked your time but you really lost the quality of the details so I really think that in terms of detail like if you're arguing for communication and detailing, the details are lost when you look for efficiency. Now, that's what I'm saying is two, is two different topics. Like efficiency, sure. Like videos are faster to get information across, but you really uh, sacrifice the quality, not the quality, but you can have good quality, but also the details of it, you really lose it, right? Like Because how and much? I, how much mm, yeah. I have yeah, something I want to add real quick. Oh, no. What I want to add. So first of all, sign language, I think, um, just going to like throw this out there. It doesn't, it relies on context in a really brilliant way so that I do think you actually get a full communication. um, But it it doesn't, it is highly efficient, actually. Can I add? Um, So I want to just like, yeah. Um, just on like the quality part, like I think it is incredibly detailed per person. So when you're communicating yes. via sign language, you Highly really personal. do get to understand that person on a different level. Like that sense of connection is is heightened. Okay. So again, we have to reframe like what do we talk about when we mean Good. connection or like meaningful communication? No, I hate but to I sound wanna... like I'm, 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 I'm hitting up against any form of communications, guys. Like, you know... It, I, I respect all forms of communications. I'm just talking basically on the efficiency scale. Now, Alejandro said something that, I mean... But I have I, to I add something I about the I don't, book first. Go, go ahead, Daniel. Um, okay. So the other thing I wanted to say, though, is that when you read a book, to Vigat's point of like... it engages a creative part of the brain. When you watch a movie, everything is there. There's no guessing, there's no thinking, there's no applying it through your particular lens that you're gonna picture this person wildly different than another person because of your experience. And I think that that is truly what storytelling brings um, and what all those descriptive adjectives bring 
is, is the ability for your brain to engage in a participatory manner in a way that watching a movie is a consumptive piece. Okay, now I'll, I'll address your point secondly, Daniel, <laughs> about using our imagination, right? Do you guys want to I, wrap I up? Think... Hold on. Do you want to wrap up like Brave New World? Should we wrap it up? And then we can continue and then having talk this about discussion. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, do you do you do you want to do a part two? We we can have a part two. We of can this. do a part two. Yeah, because yeah, we yeah, could also we do that. We haven't gotten to the reservation. Later. We haven't. Oh, I know. We haven't right? gotten to the consumerism. We haven't gotten to the whole. Uh, you know, don't mend anything. Just make something. There's there's so much more. Yeah, yeah. Because I I can see that there's a lot of things as we want to touch on and. Yeah. Okay, 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 dear audience. If you if you want to join us again uh, next week, despite all the book hating from Mr. Donovan here, <laughs> you can you can join us next week in part two of the Brave After New, the world. new world. See you, everyone. Have a good week. <laughs>